0: title of the message is Beware. Granted, that's kind of ominous looking, not necessarily the thing you come to church to see, but it is appropriate, the idea of being aware. I read an article recently that prompted this message, and in that article I read this quote. It'll be on the screen. It says, what we are witnessing Is a spiritual catastrophe in the making. What we are witnessing is a spiritual catastrophe in the making. That is the conclusion of a Christian writer, or really, I think it's two Christian writers. And what they are referring to in this article is not theory. But fact, what they are referring to is having an effect on all of us, whether we realize it or not. Therefore, it is incumbent on each of us to understand this warning and do what is necessary to deal with this warning. Really, this warning was given 2,000 years ago, stated in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 15, that says, Beware of false prophets, which come unto you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Let's pray. Dear Lord, this is a very serious and sobering subject. And it is incumbent upon us, Lord, that we understand that. Not to be fearful, but to be aware. Lord, not not to be discouraged, but to be motivated. And may this message this morning both inform us and at the same time motivate us. Lord, speak to hearts this morning. Perhaps there's somebody here that... Is unsaved. They they're not a Christian. They don't know you as their Savior, but Lord, today they could. And I pray that you would impress that upon their hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps there are some here this morning, Lord, that take their faith rather nonchalantly. They come to church when it's convenient, and they give when it's convenient, and they serve when it's convenient. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage those folks to a greater dedication and a greater involvement. And may we leave this place, Lord, better than when we came this morning through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew 7.15 says, Beware. Beware of who? Beware of false prophets. Now that was true when it was stated 2,000 years ago. And it's equally, if not more, true today in these last days when it says there will be greater deceivers in the last days in which we live now that right there is not a popular statement because you are encouraged by particularly liberals not to judge don't be judgmental in fact probably the verse quoted most often this day and age is judge not that you be not judged everybody knows that verse but the Bible says beware of false prophets, indicating they're out there, which means you got to judge who is and who is not. And if you don't judge, you're foolish. If you buy that, that you're to judge, but it says that, yes. Will you go back and read it in its context? It means don't judge hypocritically. You know, it, 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 it is not telling us not to judge. We're not to judge hypocritically. We're to judge wisely, we're to judge with, with wisdom. We need to be able to spot these false prophets who come to you, it says, in sheep's clothing. In other words, they're out to deceive you. They want you to think that they're up to good when really the Lord says they're up to no good. And you've got to know your Bible well enough, you've got to know your faith well enough so that you are not deceived by one of these false prophets Which I believe so many people today are being deceived. You get sometimes people ask, Where do you come up with your ideas for sermons and for messages? Well, it it comes a variety of different ways, but this one was pretty practical. I read this article and I said, I got to preach on this. I got to preach on this. I read an article entitled Church Going Kids and Christianity, written by Ed Vitagliano. And it's not an old article. This article was posted December 12, 2016. And I'm not going to read the whole article. We don't have time. But I want to give you enough of the article that you know where he's coming from. It says, we've all seen the videos. High school and college kids who know less about our constitutional form of government than they do about what the Kardashians ate for breakfast that day. However, the troubling state of our Christian youth is even more serious than a lack of historical or political knowledge. Studies are continuing to confirm that vast swaths of church-going kids know very little about their Christian faith. And from that article, I have this quote. American Christianity has devolved into what two sociologists called moralistic, therapeutic deism. Now, if you're not familiar with those words, and I would understand that you may not be familiar with those words, right now you might be thinking, checking out. You know, this doesn't apply. Moralistic, therapeutic deism, what's that got to do with me? A lot. And if you will listen, before we leave this morning, you will know exactly what those words mean and why you should care because of the inherent dangers in those three words. The article goes on to say, in 2005, two sociologists at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, Christian Smith and Melinda Lundquist, uh, Denton, dropped a bombshell on the evangelical community titled Soul Searching. The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. The news was not good. What soul-searching revealed was a generation of kids who claimed to be Christian, but who possessed religious beliefs that were not even remotely orthodox. I mean, in other words, they claimed to be Christian, but what they believed wasn't biblical at all. Smith and Denton said Christianity is either degenerating into a pathetic version of itself, or more significantly, Christianity is actively being colonized and displaced by quite by a quite different religious faith. And let me read the first part of that again. They said Christianity is either Degenerating into a pathetic version of itself. Now let's stop right there. And their studies, they're saying Christianity is degenerating into a pathetic version of itself. Folks, that confirms what Ken Ham has been teaching for years. Ken Ham is the organizer, you know, the man behind the Creation Museum in Kentucky. He is the man behind the new uh, Ark Encounter, you know, the life-size, you know, Ark that they built in Kentucky. I've only seen it on video, but it is an amazing structure, huge beyond words. You know, and I look forward to, I've been to the Creation Museum, and I look forward someday of going down and and seeing the Ark. But back to Ken Ham. Ken Ham has talked about the fact that Why is America going secular? More churches than ever. More Christian schools than ever. More Christian programming on radio and TV than ever. And yet Christianity is losing. Losing in a big way, as was demonstrated yesterday. As was demonstrated yesterday. More about that this afternoon, perhaps. Maybe I'll go there, maybe not. I sure want to go there. But maybe I will, maybe I won't. And Ken Tam is saying, why isn't all of this Christianity having an impact on our nation? More Christian TV channels than ever, more Christian radio stations than ever, more... Chris, they didn't have all that when I was a kid. They didn't have Christian TV when I was a kid, didn't have Christian radio stations when I, when I was a kid, didn't, didn't have near the Christian, you know, Pensacola, Bob, you know, well, I don't know about Bob Jones, but so many of them have come into existence since then, so What's going wrong? I I think what I just read describes it to a T and confirms what Ken Ham is saying. It's degenerating into a pathetic version of itself. It's becoming something quite different. So it is ineffective. It's been watered down, our faith. It's been compromised. Therefore, it's of little use and of little value. The article goes on to say, what was that colonizing faith? It was tagged by the sociologists with the provocative moniker, moralistic, therapeutic deism. In other words, they're saying, orthodox Christianity that the world has known for 2,000 years is no longer orthodox Christianity, regardless of what people think they are saying that now it can be described more as moralistic, therapeutic deism. And they said each word presented a core facet of what is becoming the dominant religious view among our nation's youth. And all these kids that are claiming to be Christian can think that they are Christian, but when you analyze what they believe, You find out that it is nothing near, nothing near what the Bible teaches. And people are being sucked into this by the millions. And the Bible says in the last days that would happen. People would have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. What's the power? It's denying the Word of God. They've kept the name Christian, but they've jettisoned the Bible because the Bible doesn't fit in with our modern-day culture. This other quote that I do have for you, lest you think it's just young people, says it is also representative of the faith of far too many church-going adults. But he said that's a subject for another blog. I want to this morning take those three points. Moralistic, therapeutic, deism. Those might sound like big words that you wouldn't be interested in. I'm going to try my best to simplify it for you in order to make you aware of the dangers that are around us today. Let's look first of all at moralistic. In that article, it describes moralistic this way. Within the walls of the church, today's Christian teen and adults believes that faith is essentially related to human goodness. Now you may say, well, yeah, that's, that, that's good, isn't it? Not when it is essentially related to mere human goodness. Let me give you an interpretation of what moralistic means. They believe, these young people and many adults... They believe faith is about being good as they define good. Not as the Bible defines good, but as they define good. Being good according to your own definition of good is your ticket to heaven. And that is nothing but terribly wrong terribly wrong, but that's what they believe. That's what their study indicated to them. This isn't speculation. This is fact, what we're talking about. They believe that faith is about being good as they define good. Being good according to your own definition of good, and the good thing about that is that that's your ticket to heaven. Al Mohler wrote an article about this article, and about these findings. Al Mohler, I've heard him speak before. He's a Southern Baptist. He is a conservative, very Bible-believing Southern Baptist, and I respect him for that. Al Mohler had some comments about this whole idea of moralism, that, yeah, we're just going to be good according to you know, our definition of, of good. He says this, and I quote, When a teenager says, I believe there is a God and stuff, this hardly represents a profound theological commitment. What he's saying is what a lot of these young people are believing today, thinking that, you know, I'm a Christian and it's, it's all well. He's saying they don't have an idea about theology, about the importance of doctrine. He goes on to say another quote The researchers note that many responses fall along very moralistic lines, but they reserve their most non judgmental attitudes for matters of theological conviction and belief. Some go so far as to suggest that there are no right answers in matters of doctrine and theological conviction. Again, they may feel strongly about something like abortion, that you should not uh, abort children, and, and they would be right, and we would applaud them for that. But when you start asking them about other things that have eternal consequences, like is the only way to heaven through Jesus Christ, they would say, well, that's, that's for you to decide. But abortion is, is, is wrong, okay? Again, that's the way so many people are thinking today. The moralistic moralistic Christianity of the millennials of today is a subjective morality of personal preferences, not a morality based on thus saith the Lord. That's going to take some maturity, folks, for you to to follow me here. You you need to think about this. I'm I'm not making a, a, a a, a mountain out of a molehill. I'm making a mountain out of a mountain this morning. Because this is pervasive across our country. What does the Bible teach? What does the Bible teach? Number one, yes, we are to be moral for sure. First Peter 1.16 says, Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. I mean, you know, we're not putting down and saying, well, they're wrong and having, you know, some moral views. No, they're far that. But God determines what is and is not moral, not us. Amen. God makes that determination. It's not for me to tell you what's right and for what's wrong. It's for me to get up here and say, "'Thus saith the Lord, this is right, this is wrong.'" Ephesians 5, three, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it once be named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. I mean, the Lord lists them. I just got one short little list here. He says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, Let it not be once named among you, neither filthiness nor foolish talking. And yet those same teenagers and adults will go to movies laced with profanity. Laced with immorality. They'll go to the movies on Saturday night and the church on Sunday morning and pat themselves on the back. That's what this study is revealing. They're not connecting the dots. Number three, good morals do not get you to heaven. Good morals are important. I believe in it. I I preach it. I teach it. But the Bible very clearly says in Titus 3.5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. There's millions of young people across this country and across the world who have a very watered-down faith that is hurting them and hurting the cause of Christ. Practical application. What, What do we take away from this first point, this moralism? The moralistic belief system of many professing Christians today is at odds with the clear teachings of Scripture and are therefore to be rejected as false teaching. Failure to understand this puts you... At risk of a false security. I'm afraid there are young people that simply believe that being good, as as I determine good, not what my parents determine, certainly not what that fundamental preacher determines, but as I determine good, that's going to get me into heaven, and nothing could be further from the truth. And the scary part is that they will have a false security that unless they are awakened in their spirit will send them directly to hell forever. And that is very sad. Folks, they come to the knowledge of Jesus through the Bible. But yet they are either ignorant of or reject so much of the Bible because it doesn't fit into the modern American culture and and mindset. But you can't do that. You can't take the Jesus part of the Bible and the love part of the Bible that you like and reject the rest, claiming that it might be wrong, because if that part might be wrong, the part that you believe in might be wrong. You follow me? It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. You have to understand. And that's in your benefit to understand that. That's where the blessings come. It's not like I'm imposing on you something. Oh, i got to believe it all. You know, I've never met a person that said, you know, I became a dedicated Christian following the Lord, loving the Lord, serving the Lord. And oh, was it a terrible mistake. I've met people that said, I wasted my life. I should have been saved earlier. I should have been more committed earlier. I should have been dedicated earlier. They describe The modern belief system is purely moralistic, and we've explained the problems with that. The second word they used was therapeutic. That article says concerning this aspect of the way people are believing today, it says somewhere along the line, church-going kids have missed the point about the Christian faith. Rather than it being a relationship with God by which a disciple is joined to Christ, follows him, and becomes more and more like him, the modern, younger evangelical has his view of religion, it makes me feel happy. That's quoting from the article. In other words, Christianity, or more properly, churchianity, is a religious form of therapy. Concepts like sin, obedience, the kingdom of God, or the grace of God were largely absent. That's a problem. Sure, we find peace and we find joy in the Lord. But you cannot ignore the concepts of sin and obedience and the grace of God. Here's the interpretation of that. Christianity, according to them, is the way to happiness. Pick and choose what works for you and disregard anything that makes you feel odd or uncomfortable. That is the mindset of millions of Americans today. Pick and choose what works for you. Disregard anything that makes you feel odd or uncomfortable. Let me give you this caution from one writer. I I think this is actually from the, the article. What our interviews almost never uncovered among teens was a view that religion summons people to embrace an obedience to truth regardless of the personal consequences or rewards. You reading that behind me? That's worth reading again. What our interviews almost never uncovered among teens was a view that religion summons people to embrace an obedience to truth regardless of the personal consequences or rewards while it is true that the lord is our source of peace and joy it is his prerogative to allow trials and tribulation in our lives as he sees benefit as he sees fit for our benefit and his glory mature christians understand that and get that he is the source of joy But sometimes, for his honor and for our benefit, he will allow us to go through tough times. The modern generation does not want to acknowledge that, does not want to commit to that. What does the Bible teach? It concerns me what so many people believe. So for me, it's coming back to the Bible. I don't just pick the Jesus part and the love part. I accept the Bible from cover to cover. And that's the only way to take it. That's the only way that's going to prepare you for this life and the afterlife. What does the Bible teach? Number one, joy isn't the absence of problems and conflict, but is the presence of our relationship with God. John 17, 13. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Our joy, really our... Bottom line, joy isn't based on circumstances. It's based on our relationship with him that even though I may be going through a trial, I'm not depressed. You know, I have an inner joy even in the trial that I get from Jesus Christ. Number two, we must accept the fact that we can have inner joy in Christ while at the same time suffer for Christ. 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. So many people today would say, fiery trial, don't count me in. That's why they, they mold it to their own belief system. It says, behold, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you partakers of Christ's suffering. He didn't avoid suffering, and neither are we. That when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. And we need to understand quite the contrary to what they believe that living a godly life sometimes may bring on trials. 2 Timothy 3:12, yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I suppose really as I think about it, people today in their shallow belief system, their shallow commitment, their ignorant commitment aren't so much unlike the disciples. Because Peter himself, when push came to shove, remember when they came and arrested Jesus? He said, I'm out of here. And they all bolted. That is not true Christianity, and that was did not represent Christianity at its finest. Christianity at its finest is in those who suffered. Practical application. Viewing Christianity as merely therapeutic sets the stage for frustration and frustration and disappointment when God-ordained trials come your way. Failure to have a mature understanding of following Christ can result with a rapid departure from the faith. If you don't have a mature understanding of what it truly means to be a Christian, the problem is when push comes to shove, you're going to head for the hills. And lastly, number three, the third word that was described, that describes modern day Christianity, particularly but not limited to young people, is deism. They said in the article, Their God was one who exists, created the world, and defines our general moral order, but not one who is particularly personally involved in one's affairs, especially affairs in which one would prefer not to have God involved, the sociologist noted. In other words, I believe in God, but deists believe that God created the world and created people, and then he went away. And we're just left here to to, to make it on our own. That's deism. And he said a lot of young people, whether they understand the term or not, have reverted back to deism, which has been around for, for, for centuries. And it says they don't believe that God is necessarily personally involved in our lives. And that's why... They can do things contrary to God's word on Saturday night and be in church singing in the youth group on Sunday morning and think that all is well. There's an explanation for that, and it's called, to a great degree, deism. How do we interpret this? Well, God is who I imagine him to be, and I can choose the kind of relationship with him that I desire and what works for me. Folks, that accurately describes what is going on in so many so-called, quote, Christian lives today. But there is a caution. This is not the God who thunders from the mountain, nor a God who will serve as judge, according to them. This undemanding deity is more interested in solving our problems than in making people happy. In short, God is something like a combination divine butler and cosmic therapist. He is always on call, takes care of any problem that uh, may arise, professionally helps his people to feel better about themselves, and does not become too personally involved in the process, according to Al Mohler. And that's just the way they want it today. These are God, as the Bible says, these are gods of their own imagination. It is not for us to imagine God as we want him to be. It is for us to open his word and find God as he is. And it's not going to move our address to 2738 Easy Street. Okay? There are blessings for sure that come with serving God. And I wouldn't change it for anything in the world, but there can be challenges as well. Another quote, "Our relationship with God is not a relationship with some distant impersonal force, but is a relationship of a father and child. What does the Bible teach again I'm, in each one of these three terms, I have told you what they believe, and then I show you what does the Bible say and if you 've got an ounce of spirituality in you, you are way more interested in what the bible says here 's what the Bible says about this aspect of deism that, you know, God is, you know, he's not really that involved in my life. I'll decide what I want to be in life. I'm not going to pray about it. I'm going to decide who I'm going to date. I'm not going to pray about it. I'm going to decide what I want to watch on TV. I believe in God. Sure, I believe in God. I don't want to go to hell. But again, those are the views of a deist, that God isn't a personal God involved in our lives. What does the Bible teach? Number one, believers are are inseparable from the Lord. Romans Romans 8, 38, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor principality, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are inseparable from God, as a father is with his child. Number two, we learn God is intimately knowledgeable of us believers. He is taking account... To the chief musician, a psalm of David, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising, thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but O Lord, thou knowest it all together." I would tell those young people he's watching he's keeping record and that's in your benefit because the, the the watered down Christian life that you are living is going to be so ill effective in your life you're, you're not going to reap the benefits he's, he's, God doesn't bless compromise and number three God is involved in our everyday life The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. It does matter where you are on Saturday night, just using that as an example, and who you're with and what you're doing. It does matter how you dress. It does matter what you're reading. It all matters. If that is too burdensome for you, then you're just going to miss out. On the blessings that come from loving God and understanding that he loves you enough to be involved in your life. Our practical application. The idea that man can operate independent of God and unanswerable to God comes from man, not God. This false concept guarantees the judgment of God on all who believe this lie and live a reckless life unguided by a very personal God. So that is why, as I close, in that article it said, I quote, What we are witnessing is a spiritual catastrophe in the making. And this watered-down, anemic version of Christianity is being way more, influ- is being way more influenced by the world. Because of its lack of capacity to influence the world. We're to be salt and light to the world. But the world is coming around, circling us, and picking us off by the millions in this watered down, totally inaccurate understanding of Bible Christianity. Last quote. Christian Smith and his colleagues have performed an enormous service for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in identifying moralistic, therapeutic, deism as the dominant religion of this American age. Our responsibility is to prepare the church to respond to this new religion, understanding that it represents the greatest competitor to biblical Christianity. And it is found in liberal Christians and liberal churches. By liberal, I mean they do not believe the Bible from cover to cover. They'll tell you they believe the Bible until you start pinning them down. They will tell you. All of these compromising Christians out there will tell you. You ask them, do you believe the Bible? They believe the, they'll say, oh, sure, we believe the Bible. And you'll go away and you'll come back to me and say, but, Pastor, you're wrong. I mean, yeah, they don't live like us, but they, they believe the Bible. And I would tell you, ask them if they believe the Genesis account of creation. Do you believe, young people, that the world is millions of years old? Well, of course it is. Science has proven that. Then the Bible doesn't say that. Do you believe that part of the Bible? No. And again, confirming what I've been saying all morning. You're in big trouble if you start picking and choosing in the Bible what you want to believe. If you start writing off some of it as untrue or just mistakes that were made, errors and what have you, then how do you know that what you cling to is true? Folks, I believe it's all true. And there is no other rational approach to take. But we got more irrationality going around this country today than I've ever seen in my lifetime. What I am suggesting as I close, folks, is not that in following the Bible and believing it from cover to cover, it's going to make life miserable for you. Quite the opposite. But it is so, look, I'll close with this. Years ago, I had the privilege for the first time of meeting Dr. Bob Jones III. You know, Bob Jones University, this is Dr. Bob Jones III, who was the president at Bob Jones University. And I had the privilege of meeting with him in a pastor's office and just found him to be just a regular guy. And I, I, I guess I can say we're friends today, not close friends, but he, he knows me, I know him. But that was my first meeting with him, and I asked him, I said, what is the greatest challenge? I never will forget, I asked him this question. And this was 24, 23 years ago. I said, what's your biggest challenge as being the president at this Christian university, this fundamental Bible-believing Christian university? What's your greatest challenge? And I've shared this with you. His, His answer, he paused, he thought about it for a second, and he said, my biggest challenge, he said, getting it right, getting it right. I understood exactly what he was talking about because it's a Christian universe and he wanted to make sure that they were doctrinally and theologically on the right page. Our biggest challenge is getting it right. We as a church have far more to offer the communities represented here by standing for all of this book than churches do that are watering down the book. They're not our enemies but I think they've gone astray in these last days. They've denied the power thereof. Pray for me. I make a commitment to you that I believe this book from cover to cover. I don't understand it all. Some of it's way too deep for me, but I believe this book. I do not believe it's filled with mistakes and contradictions. There may be some things that appear that way, but when you study it out, and it takes study, you find out, wait, there's an explanation for that. You pray for me. Because the temptation is, go with the crowd. Go with the crowd. Leave out the hard parts. Don't, don't, don't preach from Revelation. Leave, leave out the hard parts. Don't step on people's toes. Pat them on the back. Get your praise band. And man, we'll be changing, well, not the world. We'll be changing Christianity. This church will be blessed in 2017 to the degree that we adhere to this book as the word of God that's what will keep us from going astray thank you for listening to today's message we hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's word if you have any questions about Mayo Baptist Church please contact us anytime you can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com thanks for listening